but welcome to the recording. And we'll start with Leviticus 23, verse 1. And this is going to kind of be, I, I debated whether to add more to um, the, the message today, but then I thought, we'll find stuff to talk about. And as soon as I put more in, we won't be out of here till 1.30. So I'm just going <laughs> to, if we get done early, then more of a day. <laughs> so, 20 minutes later, bye. I know. Bye, guys. See you later. Um, but Leviticus 23 is kind of, oh, can you get the homage? Well, you put it in. I know. <laughs> she put you in the wrong chapter. It's a test. This is Feast of the Lord. <laughs> That's just right there, honey. Thank you. Okay. Maybe we'll find Technical some. Difficulties over here. Yeah. So, this is, it, it's one of those things, you know, we've <coughs> talked about how God doesn't expect you to do something unless he's told you like two or three times. Because... If, you, if it's just once in scripture, then you got to stop and go, am I reading that right? No. If nothing else confirms it. Because he, even he says. It's just like parents. Yes, yes. You can't expect to just say <laughs> it once. You're going to have to say it several times so that they understand it. Because it's not just hear and obey. It's hear, understand, and obey. And it's, it's explained and it's expounded upon. And, and so some people will argue, well, the Bible contradicts itself because it just says to do it this way here, but then this way it says it different. It's like one's expounding on the other. It's not contradicting it. It's not saying don't do it. It's just saying here's some more information. So we're going we're gonna to talk about um, the feasts and festivals again, and we're going to kind of summarize them and talk about some details of them. So... Um, that's what Leviticus 23 is doing. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Um, I just want to make sure I'm here in the right spot here. Um, and I, this is the note on holy convocations. It says, the festivals are days on which the people are invited to assemble in prayer and thanksgiving and to celebrate with the fine clothing and festive meals. God desires only festivals that are observed in the holy elevated spirit of these are my appointed festivals. On these holy days, Jews desist from their mundane involvements of the week and devote themselves to the Torah and sacred pursuits such as God. Such days are God's festivals. But days that are dedicated exclusively to gastronomic and physical pleasure are not God's. They are human concoctions that he that he despises, according to Sforno. The purpose of the festivals is spiritual elevation, and the special foods and festive clothing are to help people achieve that goal. By being, giving honor and distinctiveness to the day, we focus our minds on it and, are thereby, and thereby foster a realization of the spiritual opportunities it offers us if we but utilize them properly. Which is where the idea of um, Sabbath and the different festivals being like a date with God. You know, He's doing something, and he's invited you to join him in it. And, and it's not something that we're doing for him. It's something we're doing with him. And it's kind of like, you know, if your husband or your wife put together a fancy meal at a restaurant with, you know, a private situation, you know, set up with fancy stuff and said, meet me at 7 o'clock on Friday at this restaurant. She's there. She's enjoying the meal. Or he's there. He's enjoying the meal. And you either show up or you don't. 
you either get to, you know, which is why Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's, it's, it's a gift to us. Um, so verse 4, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now this is where there's the confusion or the, the debate, I guess you could say, between um, the Orthodox Jewish um, dating of first fruits and the Messianic dating of first fruits. Because... Uh, the the orthodox dating of first fruits is the day after Passover, because it fall this follows that in in this order of discussion. But and and yes, Passover is a Sabbath, but the uh, the regular Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath, would be Sunday, and. When we look at the fact that Yeshua came to properly interpret Torah for us, and he rose as the first fruits on Sunday morning, as opposed to Wednesday morning, you can see that the, full, the prophecy picture is more complete when it's on um, the Sunday. So... So that, but that's where that confusion comes in. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two, two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, um, until you have brought the offering of your God. So in other words, don't eat, do the offering first. Uh, it is a statute forever through, throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Now this is the other thing, because with where they put the dating of first fruits with the day after Passover, that you can't do this next part, because this is counting from the Feast of First Fruits through counting the Omer, to uh, Pentecost or Shavuot, and that is always on a Sunday. So they start their count on the Sunday, but this is saying the day you start your count is supposed to be the day that you do your wave offering, which is supposed to be the day after the Sabbath. Does that make sense? So, so the dating, the dating for okay, Pentecost is always on a Sunday in Jewish and Christian circles. And this, this instruction is saying that you count the 49 days, which is, is the counting the Omer days, which we're in right now, from the, day that you, from the day after the Sabbath that you brought that wave offering. You count 49 days, and on the 50th day is Pentecost or Shavuot. And 
That fits with Yeshua rising on the first day of the week after going in the grave on Wednesday. And, and that whole picture is there and fulfills all of this. But what the, the Jewish community has dated the um, first fruits, they've read it as the day after Sabbath, meaning the Passover Sabbath. So that they have Passover and then the next day is first fruits. But then that messes up this part. Because this says the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Well, there's not another Passover Sabbath later on. If you count, so let's say Passover's on a Monday, and you start counting first fruits from Tuesday, 49 days, you're going to have a Wednesday Pentecost, not a Sunday Pentecost. So it, it's what if you, if you, if you, when, because we believe that Yeshua came to properly interpret it, his interpretation of when first fruits is fits the whole bigger picture. When you isolate certain verses out of the bigger picture and try to date things differently, it messes up the count for the other things. So, um, you know, because this time of counting the Omer, this 49 days was when Yeshua was teaching and then he left and then the Holy Spirit was sent. And so there's, there's even the picture itself has meaning. And when you mess up the picture, then you miss the fulfillment of it. So you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So that is second, fir latter first fruits or second first fruits or Shavuot or Pentecost. All bunches of names for the same day. You shall bring from your dwelling place two loaves of bread to be waved. So the first, the fir early first fruits, you bring the grain. Latter first fruits, you bring the bread. Um, made of two, two, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be soaked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 19, and you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them, uh, them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord. So they would pick up the lambs. And if, lambs are heavy. Yeah. <laughs> They're heavy. It's, you know, it's not, it's not like a little a strong, puppy. It's, a strong guy. Yeah. These, these are, these, this is, you know, isn't, oh, this is a big... <laughs> Tough guy. Um, so you don't think that there's like a winch and yeah, and then like a pinata? So yeah. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> um, yeah, which is always why the picture of the guy, you know, the the young shepherd boy holding the lamb, you know, the big lamb, and it's just like, oh no, no, because he's all tiny and frail, and he's got this giant lamb on his shoulders. Like, mm, doesn't even make sense. Yeah, yeah. So they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. Um, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. Or, I'm sorry, you shall not do any ordinary work, which kind of is the same thing and probably doesn't make a difference. But sometimes when you change that around, because they probably have a note in here. Let's see, verse 21. Um. They actually translate it, you shall convoke on this day. 
Um, Shavuot. Shavuot marks the culmination of the seven weeks of growth that made the revelation possible. This explains why the name of the festival is Shavuot, literally weeks, rather than a name that suggests the giving of the Ten Commandments that occurred on that day. So on Shavuot was when they were given the Ten Commandments. It was when um, they were given the Holy Spirit. And there were so, the similarities that you, you know, when you read the, the description and acts of that happening, it, it's very similar to when the Ten Commandments were given with the tongues of fire going out over the people and, um, and the, the earthquake and the, the storm. Is that where we're at now? Yeah, this is, this is at the end of the 49 days. On the 50th day, this is what you're doing for Shavuot. Yes. Um, you shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Okay, so coming out of Shavuot is now when we're talking about not reaping to the corners. Okay, so, so you can see that the charity to the poor is, is it's intertwined with the holy worship of God. You know, so later in the prophets when he says, this is the religion that I want. You know, religion to me, religion that is holy, is taking care of the widow and the orphan, taking care of the poor. It, it's all part of the picture that the feasts and festivals are supposed to give. So when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month of the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So now we're at Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, So between, so basically between Shavuot, you know, when you're doing your harvest and stuff, and then... So between, you finish the Feast of Weeks, and then you're supposed to remember to take care of the poor, and then you have um, uh, Rosh Hashanah. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. So this is Yom Kippur now. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. So it's the, the command to afflict yourselves that has made this a fast day as opposed to a feast day. So it's a day of fasting. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Um, so, so then, you know, going back to Moses, when he went up, when he was given the Ten Commandments... Then he went up to be with God, and it was while he was up with God that he got sent down because of the golden calf, and then he said, okay, I'm going up to try and get atonement for you. So then he was up at this time. So, um, for whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day... Now, notice all the other times it was just don't work, it's important that you not work, it's important that you not work, don't work, this is a day of rest, this is a celebration day with God. This is, if you work on that day, you're cut off from your people and I will destroy you among your people. Wow. <clears throat> That's Yom Kippur. He's like, I'm serious about this day. He's like, if I'm giving you atonement and you're working, oh no. He's <laughs> like, I am atoning for your soul. And you're out trying to take care of yourself. So when is that on our calendar coming 
Um, well, it's the 10th of Tishrei. So it'll be, I don't know what it is on our calendar, but it'll be usually in September or October. Yeah. Sometimes it falls in August, which is really strange. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes it falls really early. And then they do the month adjustment that year, and then it all falls back. So um, you shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. Uh, and Sabbath being a day of rest. So it shall be a day of rest, of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. Um, yourself. Well, that's been translated to, to, that's why they do the fasting. It just means, um, let me see what they say in here, verse 31. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the tenth the tenth day is when Moses came back down. Let me see what it says here. You shall afflict, and this is this is this is the Torah's term for fasting. So it has that that's what it has been interpreted as is fasting, and and on most of the other days of fasting, uh, and and there are there are exceptions made for young children, nursing mothers, sick people who have issues that require that they eat food. Um, but on Yom Kippur, most people try to do as strict a fast as they can in order to fulfill that command. So, I mean, if you're diabetic and it's a, you know, it's a matter of you're going to go into diabetic shock if you don't eat, you're not going to be cut off from your people. But if you're, if, you know, if you're, I just don't think I can make it a day, you know, and so, so you don't even try, that's, that's different. And so um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where on other fasting days, a lot of people will be excused from it because of that. But even on Yom Kippur, it's like, you know, you should really do as strict a fast as you can. Um, on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, shall you keep your Sabbath. And that one is on the ninth of the month. The simple meaning of this verse is that one begins fast. Yeah, so on the ninth, of, the ninth day of Tishri. Um, and the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 33, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. So that's um, Tabernacles or um, Sukkot. So that's the one where we go and wave the wave offering. Yeah, huh? Yeah, I love Sukkot. I really love Sukkot. So what's the, what's the difference in the names? Well, the Feast of Booths, a Sukkah is a booth. So it's just the, it's just translating it in, into English. Oh, that's what the Yeah. Huh? Feast of Sukkot. The Feast of Sukkot. Yeah, Sukkot, which is the plural. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So the first day is a day of rest. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord, and then on the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. So the eighth day is a, 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 like the whole community comes together, and, and it's a day. It's not, it's a day of rest in that you don't do any ordinary work, but it's, it's a day of worship. 
So these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. So there's all the things that, that there's the weekly Sabbath. Then there's all the stuff that you want to give or that you obligate yourself to giving. And then there's, these are the things that God tells you to do. All the rest of the stuff, if you want to do it, go for it. Or if you need to do it, you know, <laughs> if you screw up and you have to do a sin offering, take care of it. But, but these, are the, these are the markings of time. These are how you, how you go through your year. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees. This, and this, so the four species that we wave. Yeah. The fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. So, so part of that reason for dwelling in the booths is to remember the exodus and to remember what you were brought out of. Uh, and it is you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the 10 days of awe that we're talking about in Revelation right now. That's in, in Tishrei. It's between, you know, it's at the 10 days for them to decide once and for all which book their name is going into. Um, and then Sukkot has a, a big prophetic picture, um, and we're going to get to that in Revelation, but it is prophetic of um, the millennial kingdom and dwelling with Messiah, so the time when he reigns. So they're supposed to remember. It's, it's What happened in Exodus and the remembering living in Booths when he brought them out, that was when they became a nation. And they became a nation because he became their God. So in Revelation, when we get to that, we're going to see you know, references to being a nation of God, being a people of God, and God directly ruling over them. So I know. What am I supposed to be doing day one, day two? Yeah, well, as we get to it, that's part of why we try and celebrate it together. And as we get to it, I will definitely talk more before each one about what we're doing for that. And that's where it's just doing it each year. You start to figure it out. And every year you learn a little bit more. And every year you, you get it. Um, okay, that makes me feel better. Because I just know what I do with you, but then when I go home, right. I'm the other Right. Well, and that, yeah, and we'll talk about that. We're, when, when we did our first Passover celebration 15 years ago, 16 years ago, 15 years ago, um, for years, that's all we did was Passover. And we, we, would, we were reading about the others, but we didn't know what to do. And then we started learning what to do. And, and, and for a while, it was, oh, shoot. Today's whatever day we forgot to do it and we didn't prepare and well okay let's talk about it at least and and then it was okay I'm I'm prepared we're gonna do something and then we would learn as we learn more then you start to um, it's it's practicing 
it's a kinesthetic learning experience from God. And and I take comfort in the fact I think it I think it's in Ezekiel. I would have to look it up to get the exact quote. But basically God talks about how in, in the latter days people from all over will will come to him and they will be trying to do his things and and they really won't know what they're doing. And and it's just like this very loving like they'll they'll be doing their best, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's you know we were talking we were talking yesterday at our park day, and some of the moms were one of the moms was saying that with her older kids, when they were younger and they were trying to help, she she was so worried about things being done correctly that she didn't let them help. And yeah, and that's what she realized. She learned that. She's like, as they got older, then they didn't want to help. She goes, so with my younger ones, I realize I'm just going to have to deal with the fact that they can't do it to my standard. I have to teach them how. So take advantage of that. I want to help. I want to help stage. And and it doesn't look as perfect, huh? My kids never had that. They never had that. No. <laughs> Unstable no puppies. I know, but when I look at a parent making up a bed for a teenager, I'm like, are you there was, me? What's wrong with their hands? I know, there, there, was a, there was a woman at a, who was speaking at a homeschool convention, and she said something. But she said, if you have children who are 10 and you're still doing everything, yes. you missed a promotion. Yes. <laughs> Mom, man, she had us at the sink washing dishes early and stuff. You know, she was yeah. cold. A lot of them, but it's like, okay, let's start learning. Here, you do the silverware. Yeah. Or you do, you know, cups or whatever. You know, just to get a set. We're like all excited. We get to wash dishes, you know. Yeah. Of course, by the time we're teenagers, we're like, oh, yeah, I gotta wash the dishes. I know. But you know how. Well, I told them to taking care of yourself. You know what to do. Well, and I've told my kids, I said, it's my responsibility to prepare you to be adults who can function on your own out in the world. And there are too many who can't. And, and so the things I'm teaching you, you may not love them. They may not be your favorite things to do. When you get older, make a lot of money, hire somebody to do them. I don't care. But you're going to know how. But you've got to know how. It was Tanya, Lisa, I forget, maybe it was Tanya in the home ec class. This one girl, she don't do dishes. Her parents never made her. And so... In the homemade class, you have to share the work. So they made her wash dishes. She was crying the whole time. Yeah. Well, I went. I can't even relate to that. I know. When I when I was at, in high school, I went down to it's it's Alika. It's the Arizona Law Enforcement um, uh, Training Academy down at the Career Academy. And the first day we were there, because it was like a police training thing for one week, and um, while we were there, the, the first day the guys came out. She had to wash. You had one uniform. You had to wash it every night. And the guys, and, and I seriously don't know how they did this, but the guys had detergent streaks all over their clothing, and they got yelled at big time, and, and so the, the drill sergeant was wanting to know somebody who could, and I'm like, I will show them how to do the laundry. So I had to teach all, the whole group of guys. That night I had to teach them how to do laundry. None of them had ever done laundry before. Yeah, and I, that's woman's duty. Yeah, well, I told them. 
Yeah, but I told them, I said, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how you did what you did, so I don't know how to teach you not to do that. I'm just going to teach you how to do laundry, and I'm going to assume this will never happen again. <laughs> Funny though, when I was um, when I started college and I moved into the dorm room, I used to see so many guys pass by my door with like pink and purple, oh yeah, yellow and brown. Okay, you gotta understand the guy mentality. If some is good, more must be better. (laughs) Yes. So if a little so, this thing's dirty. So Uh, yeah. Yeah, but this guy just like messed up all of his whites. There were so many different colors. Oh my gosh! You can't like mix everything together, right? (laughs) And then you gotta go. How did you get to college and not know this? I know. Never was taught. Maybe mom did. Mom did all the laundry. Poor mom. She must be really tired. I know. (laughs) It's exhausting. So so yeah, and and so it's this. God's the same way. He's a loving parent. He's like okay, because we we start learning about the feasts and festivals, and we go into that. I want to do them. I want to do them. Me do me do. And and he says okay, and then we mess it up, you know, for years, and then we're like, oh, I forgot to do that. And he's like, it's okay. We'll go through it again this year. That's why they're every year. Yeah, this year. Every year. I honestly, I think, I think that that, I, I, I've read different writings from, from Jewish (laughs) sources saying you will inevitably find leaven that you missed, but that that is, but that that is part of what you're supposed to learn, that no matter how hard you try, there's still going to be some leaven. No matter, you know, no matter how good you think you've done, you're going to open that cupboard and, you know, you're going to dig behind the spices and go, oh. And leaven represents sin in our life. Right. And so no matter how, no matter how great our effort to remove it, that's why we need the atonement. That's why we need to keep going and get the atonement. So, um, so, so yeah. And, and when you understand that the reason for doing them is... I think one of the main reasons, I mean, obviously there's the obedience issue, but one of the main reasons for doing the feasts and festivals is so that when these things happen, we're ready. We can see the signs and we know what to do. You know, when that Rosh Hashanah comes, that that shofar blows and, and major spiritual stuff happens, we won't be caught off guard going, I don't know what's going on, you know. We'll be like, oh, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's this. This is about to happen. Okay, we're ready. Um, you know, when the number of people who saw that Yeshua was the Messiah, it was because, and it says, they, they understood the signs of the times. They went, oh, Passover. Oh, this is what he's doing. Oh, oh, I, but even then, he was teaching them. He had that teaching Seder where he said, this is what I'm about to do. You know, so even in the midst of it, he, he was showing them. So I have no doubt that he'll be showing us. You know, we'll be going, okay, I know there was something in chapter 10 about this. And he'll be like, it's okay. This is going on, you know. So, so we, we're... And, and Has anybody ever figured out the time between God told Moses all this stuff? the time Jesus was doing it how how long ago that was exactly yeah um it was about 
About 2,000 years, yeah. It was about 2,000 years, and now it's been about 2,000 years yeah, since that happened. Yeah, we're doing for another lesson. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, yes. The Revelation 10. Then I saw another mighty angel. So, okay, just, just kind of go back to a couple of key points from last uh, chapter. Things are now, we've gone from the throne room to the sea. So the, spirit, the realm of the souls. And last week, we were starting to break through from the realm of the souls to the earth. So things that were happening in the realm of the souls were affecting, by the end of the chapter, things that were happening on the earth. And, and so that, that's where we're starting. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Okay, beautiful, intense, very descriptive. Um, this angel, and we're going to discuss his identity later on because there are actually keys in this text that tell us who this angel is, um, is said to be robed in a cloud. That's always a reference to the Shekinah. Okay, that's always, uh, which is why when, you know, when it says Jesus coming on the clouds, it's really coming in a cloud. And, and it is in, in that presence of God, the, the, the Shekinah that surrounded, the cloud that surrounded the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, the combination of cloud, rainbow, brightness of the sun, and fire is similar to a vision from Ezekiel, who associated it with a heavenly voice. So I'm going to actually read this uh, verse from Ezekiel 1, well, 26 through 28, so two verses. And above the, and, and so that description there, Think about that while we're reading this. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like lapis lazuli. And upon the likeness of the throne was a likeness like the appearance of a man upon it. And I saw something like the color of amber, like the appearance of fire enclosed around it. From what appeared to be his loins upward, and from what appeared to be his loins downward, I saw what appeared to be fire, and it had brightness around it, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So the rainbow. Um, so was the appearance of the brightness around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Okay, so Ezekiel saw this same thing. Um, and keep in mind also, we've talked about the rainbow being, the, you know, representing those colors of God, that that rainbow was in the throne room of God, and that what happened with Noah was that God let it break through and be seen in the, in the physical realm after the rain as that reminder. So the rainbow existed before that, just not for us. And, and so he, was, he made that revelation to man. Um, verse 2, he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, so the spiritual realm, and his left foot on the land. So now we're seeing that breakthrough between. You know, so each of these layers, we're reconciling the one level with the level above it. So we've reconciled, you know, we've, we've reconnected the throne room of God with the sea. That, that, that connection has been made, and now we're going to bring the earth into this full reconciliation of all the realms. Because um, that, that break that happened at the fall is being reversed. Um, and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. 
his left foot on the sea and his right foot on the land. Or, uh-huh. Uh huh. It reminded me of when I was like Fiona about putting one foot in her room on the hallway. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's, she's, they're bridging. So verse 3, there are several clues that reveal the identity of this angel as being the archangel Michael. Really? Yes. So it says the text states that he comes down from heaven, this being a reference to Berea or the world of the archangels, the lesser angel, because the lesser angels exist in the world of Yetzirah. They're the, the messengers who go back and forth that were on Jacob's ladder. So the archangels dwell in the throne room of God. So this is, this is a... Um, it says that he's coming down from, it says it comes from the throne of God to stand um, between the other two realms. Michael is seen as descending in other places in scripture, um, and there's a midrash that says he is closely, closely associated with the Lord himself, and it's reflected in this revelation verse as this angel also speaks with the voices of seven thunders, um, similar to the voices of the Lord. And the angel in verse 3 also shouts like a lion, which the Zohar um, talks about as being Michael, that Michael speaks with the voice of a lion. So there's several references here, and, you know, another mighty angel. So here comes Michael with the voice of thunder and the voice of, you know, which means he's speaking for God. And it sounds like a roaring lion. And, and he's coming down with the glory of God, and he's coming down to, to initiate something that's going to actually reconcile the realm of souls with the earth. Um, and the appearance of Michael at this juncture, the coming final judgments against uh, the earth, brings to mind what Daniel says, because in Daniel 12.1 it says, and at that time, so this time, shall Michael stand up, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen, has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be saved, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So the idea of Michael standing up is discussed in, in a Midrash, which associates it with the withdrawing of his defense of Israel, at which point God himself does so. So in the Midrash Rabbah, um, Ruth Prologue 1, it says, And yet the verse says, Shall Michael stand up? What then is the meaning here of stand up? Stand silent, as it is said. And shall I wait because they speak not, because they stand still and answer no more? From Job 32, 16. And the Holy One, blessed be he, says to him, Dost thou stand silent and has no defense to offer for my people? By thy life I will speak their righteousness and save my people. Okay, so my, Michael's job is to defend Israel. And what's actually happening here is as he stands up and as he speaks out these things, um, we've talked before about the idea of punishment in, in the Old Testament, the idea of punishing being the withdrawing of protection, that, that God holds things back until he doesn't. Um, so when you're, you know, when you're walking, it's kind of like imagine the, the idea of walking Torah, walking the way being that God's arms are holding everything back from you as you walk between his arms. You run off out the side, out of his protection, he's not chasing you. It's, you know, he might protect you a little bit to, because you veered off because he knows, okay, that's their area of weakness. I'm going to kind of keep this back. There's a little wiggle room here. Come back on the path. But at some point, if you run outside of his protection, he's not chasing you down and protecting you in the midst of your evil. So the punishment comes from leaving the protection. Well, this is, Michael's job has been to hold back things against Israel. And now 
that was that protection is withdrawn and at that point it is God himself who moves in and is going to, to defend them so Michael's job is done and now God's stepping in to finish everything so when the seven thunders had sounded I was about to write but I heard a voice from heaven saying seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down wow. uh, yes yeah. So keep it to yourself. Um, so the thunder of God's voice is alluded to uh, in the Old Testament in several places. Psalm 77, 19, um, Job 37, 1 through 5. And this Midrash links the thunders with angels who carry out God's will. So um, in the Midrash for Esther 7, verse 18, it says, How many hosts are at my service? How many lightnings? How many thunders? As it said, the Lord thundered with a great thunder. Um, how many seraphim and how many angels, but my might shall go forth and fight with thee. So the angel, you know, the angels going out, the message going out, it's God speaking, God's declaring something, but it's being conveyed by the messengers. Um, and Ezekiel 3, 12 through 13 says, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise. So these are all examples of God proclaiming something through his messengers and it's sounding like thunder. Um, so he's been, he's been told, you know, swallow it, don't say anything. And the angel, verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophet. Um, so in verse 5, the, the angel he saw standing on the, the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven. It says the text indicates a connection between the three lower realms. That's why I say we're, we're bringing everything together now. It's time for that final um, rejoining. And the raising of the right hand, this, this is the negative context. It has to do with taking away. He raises his right hand to take away the mercy. Um, so... Something final has to happen now. So all the things that have been done that everyone's been protected from, the protection's now gone. Something is going to happen that's going to reconcile the earth to everything. Um, and it references uh, the idea of the one who restrains being taken away is in Second Thessalonians two seven also. But what it's we're not supposed to fear it because the purpose of it is to finally reveal the mystery of God. So it's not something to fear. The fact, that, the fact that the earth has to undergo this last final thing at the end of all of this to reconcile it, you know, the idea that no, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but it's, it's for our good. So no matter what it is, it's not so that we can suffer. It's so that the earth can finally be reconciled. And when we keep that perspective, a lot of times, and there's a lot of commentary in the Old Testament um, and we see this over and over as, you know, as, and we'll, we'll get to it again as we go through the Exodus story as they're wandering around in the wilderness for the 40 years. There were things that happened that the people who had their mind on God didn't even notice. It wasn't a big deal to them. But the people who were thinking with an earthly focus, this is so horrible. 
miserable. This is miserable. Ah. You know, the manna. To the people who had their mind focused on God, God's provided for us. We have this wonderful food that we can do all these things with. What is this amazing food that he's giving us? We're surviving. We're sustained in the middle of the desert. Our shoes aren't wearing out. This is wonderful. And then you have the earthly-minded people. Oh, man, again? Oh, I gotta eat the same stupid stuff? Oh. You know, and, and they're grumbly like and miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh. So when this happens, the goal is to just keep your heavenly focus so that no matter what happens, you can be going, it's, you know, it's, all of these things are referred to as the birth pangs. And, and those who've had babies, you know, can know that, that as you get closer, it gets more intense. And, and then there's, John's like, yeah, I remember that. No. <laughs> but, but what's funny is, um, you know, when you, when you, when you participate in unmedicated birth and, and not managed birth, but just watching it go naturally, um, and Rob remembers this from Michelle, is when you get to the point that it's actually time, you don't, you don't measure it by, con by the contractions or the timing or the dilation or anything. You measure it by the emotional changes in the woman. And at, at the point, oh yeah, oh I know. But there, you know, Rob Rob kept asking me while we were waiting for Michelle. He's like, because we were going to go back when 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 she was ready, because she wasn't progressing. And and I just kept telling, him, don't worry, we'll know. And he's like, but how will we know? How will we know? We're not checking her. We're not. I just, we'll know. And you know, we were watching her, and she was getting more focused and more intense, and then she came out of the hallway, walking down the hallway, putting her hair in a ponytail, and she had a contraction where she fell against the wall and slid down the wall going, oh, I said, get the car ready. She's <laughs> that's, that's changed. You know, with, with Aiden's birth, it was really obvious because I got to this point where I'm crying, and I'm like, I can't do this. Oh. And that's, but that's when Bill told me, you're in transition. It's almost time. And then I went, Oh, yes, I, I do remember this. It's almost time. And so I think we can compare this point to transition. So at this point, our earthly self will be seeing whatever's happening and going, we can't do this. We can't endure this. This is all. But if we, get, if we can remind ourselves, it's transition. It's almost time. Something's being birthed. It's actually happening. The birth pangs are about to be over, and you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be wonderful. Mm -hmm. And if we can remind each other of that and remind ourselves of that and be aware that that's what this means, we can go, oh, we can endure this because we have the one who sustains us. So we don't need to fear this. We don't need to worry about this. Just because it's that last moment where, okay, you're going to pick one book or the other now. If we're already in the book of life, we have nothing to fear. So verse 8, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and back to verse 7 for a second. Um, uh, it says, John's revelation is found within the sword or the hidden level of the prophecies in the Old Testament because Amos 3.7 says, for the Lord... Uh, Yodhevavhe does nothing except he has revealed his counsel unto his servants, the prophets. 
So all of these things have been foretold. You know, it's not, there's nothing that's going to catch you off guard. There's, I mean, it might catch us off guard, but it's only because we didn't study or didn't understand. But it's there. So at the point where it's happening, we can read and go, oh, this is what's happening. Oh, we understand this now, which is kind of when you actually understand prophecy is as it's happening or after the fact. Um, does he actually eat it? Well, he's in a vision. I mean, he, so, so it, he does. Um, but scrolls and the act of measuring... Because uh, right here it says, and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Uh, so scrolls and the idea of measuring, which we're going to come into in chapter 11, are often indicative of coming judgment. So the scroll that he's eating is, is about uh, a, a judgment that's to come. And the idea of eating is digesting something. He's taking it and he's being given understanding of what's about to happen. And, and it makes, you know, and it's sweet as honey in his mouth, but it makes his stomach bitter. You know, what does that mean? Maybe the understand, you know, the actual experience isn't going to be so wonderful, but if you can understand it, it will be, you know, it, that taste will be sweet. Um, but verse 11, it, he's told, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So John is told that his prophecy will enter into yet another stage. For the next several chapters, the primary focus of the revelation is events in the world of Asia or the earth made up of peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So the previous things have been going on in the throne room of God, and they've been going on in the sea, and now they're, you know, they've been kind of branching over into the earth, and now we're going to start talking about things that are going to happen to the nations. So... Um, you know, so this is, this is where what we'll actually experience, like, you know, and it's talked before because there were things that were breaking through, was there were, that, you know, that, that there were going to be signs and, and things that were happening that would indicate the other stuff, but then at a certain point, it's actually the reconciling of the earth, and that's what we're going to go into next week in chapter 11. So questions, thoughts? It's, it's kind of, um, I, I really, I love the book of Revelation. It's really fascinating. And, and I, think that, I think that trying to understand what the references are to and what's being said is very different from trying to figure out when it's going to happen, <laughs> creating a timeline. You know? um, because all of these things, you know, because once you leave the earth, you're not really in the realm of time. It's very, it, 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 you know, these things could all be happening at the same time. And dealing with, you know, the, or, or I mean, the things that are happening outside of time, how do you measure when they're happening? You know, they could have been going on all this time. That's true. You know, because to the... Yeah, it, it's, you know, how do you... And, and so when you try to start timing these things and, you know, it, it's just, which is why all of the prophecies of God except two that refer to the second coming of Messiah are all spoken in the past tense. When God speaks to the prophets, he says, I have done this. Tell the people, I have done this. In the last days, I have done whatever it is. To him, it's over. So... 
you know, keeping all that in mind, there is an element of all certain things that are going on outside of time. The stuff we're going to get to now is going to have to go on inside of time because it's going to happen here, where we'll actually experience it. So, I don't know why that went backwards. So, okay. So we'll go ahead and I will bless. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. Amen.